Before we get things kicked off, let me just go ahead and, and open us in prayer real quick. So Heavenly Father, I thank you um, for this body of believers here, Lord. I thank you for this young congregation, this, this new work that you've begun in Knoxville and are growing, Lord. We're so thankful for them personally, Lord, um, the work that you're doing here. And Lord, we just pray that you would use this time to um, enlighten us to the not just the, only the beauty of your word, but the importance into our lives of it. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would come and do your work, Lord, of preparing our hearts as soil, Lord, to receive that word, that implanted seed, and that it would bear fruit in our lives, Lord. And, and every word that is of you, Lord, I pray would, would not be stolen, Lord. But every word that's mine, Lord, let it fall upon the wayside. Father, pray that you would be honored um, and glorified. And we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so we got a little picture of a map here. Our text today is birthed out of Acts chapter 17. So just give you a quick idea and show you, it's like, yeah, there's maps and software too, which comes in handy, is Paul is leaving Philippi. He's going through Apollonia into Thessalonica, where he establishes a church in three Sabbaths time frame. So, you know, no more than three weeks there. He goes to Berea and then continues on down to Athens um, before going on to Corinth, which he ends up spending a uh, year and a half there at least before he goes back to, to Ephesus, which is where his journey has kind of begun. So back then it was known as Macedonia and Achaia. It's all modern Greek today, Greece. So that's what that is there. Just a quick view of where you're going. So I'm kind of titling this thing Athenian, Thessalonian, or Berean. Those are the three types of people that Paul encountered. And I'm using them as a typology. Um, what that is is like we glean some attributes from these people, some characteristics of them. And it's like, and how can that apply to um, our life uh, today? What, what can we get from that? Because the word was written for our instruction and our learning, and even things that happened a long time ago are for our learning today. And so there is three people groups that Paul encounters. I'm going to approach it from the lesser to the greater. So we're going to begin with the Athenians and uh, take a look at these people, what they were all about. So if you have Bibles in one form or fashion or not, uh, we're beginning in Acts chapter 17, verse 16, and we'll read down through verse 21. But we got it online on the screen, which is maybe different. I don't know. On a computer, is probably different. So we'll go ahead and, and begin there. Now, while Paul waited for them, that's Silas and Timothy, at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then when certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him, and some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak? For you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there, spent their time in nothing else 
but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So that's this group of folks that's in Athens. Um, as the story goes on, we see maybe there's just a couple of converts, period, that occur in this particular town and that. So they weren't receptive to what Paul had to say. So in their world, God was a philosophical topic. Fun to discuss, fun to debate, doesn't affect how they live their life. They just want to talk about the different gods. And you know, you guys know about Greek gods, right? I mean, they're, they're constantly coming up in various Marvel or other you know, episodes in movies and whatnot. Um, Greek gods. So they, they were big about that thing. And Paul came um, and wanted to talk to them a little bit about God. So, how many of you in here believe in God? All right, you might want to look around and see those who didn't raise their hands. Jake's got a little work to do. We'll give you another shot at that. How many of y'all believe in God? Okay, that's working pretty good. We'll give Emma a break because she's like writing notes. <laughs> All right. How about, how many of you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? All right, that's real good. All right. So that's a good start. That might shock you a second, but that's a good start. Is that enough? So let's talk about this for a second. James 2.19 tells us, You believe there's one God. You do well. The demons believe and tremble. Okay. Well, that's a little sobering. Matthew 8.28 and 29 says that when he, Jesus, had come to the other side to the country of the Gergesenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, the Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? So, apparently, demons recognized his deity, right? The deity of Jesus. And they also know that there's an appointed time for their judgment. Right? So their eschatology is factually correct. <laughs> they they kind of know what's going on. Now, they're not living by that by any stretch of the imagination, but they know those particular facts. Mark, 20, Mark 1, 23 and 24 says, Now there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Luke 4.41 is similar. The demons also came out of many, crying out, saying, You are the Christ, the Son of God. And rebuking them, he, he did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. So, demons are recognizing not just his deity, but his sinlessness, the Holy One of God. These are truths that most people continue to deny even today. You know, they want to count them off to a good teacher. I mean, demons have, I don't know what we want to call it, enough sense or whatever to recognize who God is, that there is a God, right? It's not a debate topic. And that Jesus is his son, and he's pure and holy, and the Christ. They recognize him. At this point in time, no human walking around has recognized that. 
of him. And yet the demons do. Okay? So demons are essentially orthodox in their doctrine, but that's no proof of having saving faith. Right? They know the truth about God, about Christ, about the Spirit, but they hate it and them. So the question becomes, what do you mean when you say you believe in Jesus? That's the question, right? Because we just heard that the demons believe and they shudder. What does believe mean, right? So believe is pistil in the Greek. It's a verb, it's, which means it's an action. It's something that you do, right? It means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, right? That's all believe means. Are you persuaded of something? Do you take it to be true? Well, can you believe a lie? Lots of people believe lies, I think. Romans 16, 17, 18, speaking of people that were troublemakers in church community, Paul says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Let me show you something about this verse here, by the way, because I don't know, when you read this in the, in the, the English, it comes across as like, Okay, well, you're able to deceive, these people are able to deceive like the simple. What does that mean? Well, I don't know, some old yokel or whatever doesn't know much. I mean, isn't that what simple kind of means when it hits your ears? Uh, it kind of does me. What I find interesting here, this is where we get to play with software a little bit, is what exactly does the word simple mean? So I'm gonna go in here and compare and look at the Greek on that. Akakos is the word simple. It's used actually two times. Two times all is the only time that you see akakos in the Bible in that. It's talking about here. It means free from evil, innocent, blameless. Right? Simple seems like not in an appropriate way. The other time that it's used, it's speaking of Jesus in Hebrews 7.26. Jesus was akakos. It means innocent and blameless. So now that we understand what that means, let's come back to here. So these people that would be in, possibly in churches, coming in, trying to cause divisions and all of that, they're going to try to deceive the innocent, the blameless. Well, who are those? Those are like real Christians, right? The ones, if you're going to be a cockos, you are without blame. Well, that only happens if you're... So, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to deceive the real ones. Well, that's what demons are always trying to do, right? And demons are behind people that would be doing this kind of thing in church. So, I don't want you to get freaked out. It's like, well, church can't be a safe space. The world is not a safe space, right? We have to wait till the millennial reign of Christ for that to occur, right? The world isn't a safe space, right? Jesus is the only refuge that we have in that. And so, can you believe a lie? Well, there seems to be people out there that would be trying to convince people, right? 1 Corinthians 15, 33 tells us, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. That almost sounds like something our parents told us, right? You know, 
so-and-so's bad news. Don't be hanging out with them, right? Well, it's, it's true because it's true. It goes all the way back to the beginning. Evil company corrupts good habits in that. So he's telling us do not be deceived. In other words, we can believe a lie that we can go ahead and get along with, you know, this guy that's not good company, right? We can, we can believe that about someone. Galatians 6.33, if anyone thinks himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Well, we can lie to ourselves, right? We can believe a lie that we think we're something when we're not. So, yeah, can you believe a lie? Sure you can. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So we can, we can believe, in other words, deceive ourselves that, like, God didn't see that. You know? Hide on the umbrella. He can't see me. <laughs> right? So... We can lie to ourselves that somehow we got away with that sin. Maybe we get away with it again. Misrepresenting his mercy for ignorance or blindness, right? So, Ephesians 5, 6, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. In that context, that passage is speaking of people that are doing everything in the ways of the world, like, you know, every foul thing that could be done and saying, yeah, that's okay. Don't be deceived with empty words. The wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience for those very activities. Don't think you can be talked into that's okay. Okay? And then finally, Titus 3.3. 3. We ourselves, right? Think about B.C., before you came to Christ. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hating and hating one another. All we got to do to think back is how we used to live. If anybody of you have grown up in church, that might be a totally foreign concept to you in that. But those of us that grew up outside of the church and lived a wild life like that right there, you don't see me playing on my right there. Well, we know we were deceived. We see it now. So yeah, we believed one way at one time, and now we believe differently. So can you believe a lie? Yeah, you can believe a lie. Okay. Let me go ahead and get back to my history here. Let me go back to Acts 17, 16. There we go. So here we are back with these guys. All right. So John 3, 16, famous verse in the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So again, I say to you, what does believe mean? Well, we just talked about the fact that it means to be persuaded of. Believe seems like a fairly simplified word there. So let me change to something that we can look at, the Greek. Again, we're playing with Bible software here a little bit in that. The believe is that pistuo. Again, we talked about the fact that it means to be convinced of something, to be persuaded. Like somebody can persuade you and you can believe one thing or another, right? But this is telling us here that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Well, believe has to be more than just simply persuaded, wouldn't you think? Since we know that persuasion can affect act actions and stuff like that, but it certainly doesn't seem like saving faith at that point in time simply believing. Demons believe they're not saved, so what do you mean believe? This is where 
software comes in fun, so I can quickly search every occurrence of pistio in the Bible, and none in the Old Testament, because it's Greek. In the New Testament, we have 250, almost 250 matches, 248 matches of that word pistio. It's interesting, we're in the Gospel of John, and just one of those kind of fun facts, in John alone, it occurs 100 times, right? I love the way he ends the book. But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So when you see a word that's used like a lot, you can kind of get a theme. What's John getting at in his 21 chapters? He talks about believing a hundred times. Like 40% of all New Testament uses of the word believe is just found in the Gospel of John. I think John wants to convince you through the seven miracles and the seven I am statements and those seven passages and sermons that Jesus speaks in those areas. Like, just believe. This should be enough. Seven. It's a divine number. You should believe. Here's like seven emphatic proofs, you know. And he talks about a few verses. If we wrote about everything, there's not enough books. Here's seven great examples of why you should believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So that's his focus, right? So let's go back there. So, believe. So the big question is, how do I know if I have saving faith? What do you mean when you say you believe in Jesus? Do you mean that you believe in the facts of the gospel? Well, believing facts is common sense, isn't it? I can't imagine that that would be saving. And in fact, the demons believe facts. So what is saving faith? Well, then let's take a look at faith. What does faith mean? Faith is the Greek word pistis. It is a noun, which means it's something you have. It's, it's something tangible, right? So it's a strong, a strong conviction that affects everything in one's life, right? Faith is different than believing. So I'll grab this chair right here. I'm glad I'm not tethered. I would have just. So here's a chair. I noticed that you all showed a level of faith this morning when you sat down. Right? I can believe a lot of facts about this particular chair. It's got four legs. I can see that it's set up in such a fashion that, you know, if I was to sit down in it, stand on it, do whatever, I think it'd hold me up, right? But I don't get to enjoy the benefits of it unless I actually sit in it, right? Now this isn't saving faith, it's sitting faith. And I can do that without giving much thought to it. Now, if you're of the stature to where you've had one of these fail on you before, then you might believe but you might not have seating faith until you check it out a little bit more, right? That's the problem with something that fails you. Trust me, Jesus will never fail you, right? But faith means actually moving from factual, you know, like, okay, I believe it can do that, to actually getting into whatever it is that you're about to have faith in. So, it's being not just facts, but a strong conviction that's going to affect everything about your life, okay? 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Sight is facts. Walking by faith 
means that you are going to move beyond the facts and walking is your lifestyle. That's, that's consistent throughout the scriptures when you look at what walk is. Another reason why when studying the Bible you can kind of see these, these themes that are in there, you know, because they just try to boil it down to some terms you might understand. Now, Jesus is not blind faith. It isn't not, not walking by sight is somehow blind faith, right? There's plenty of emphatic proofs, right? And so that's the thing. So, faith. Well, what is it to have saving faith? Well, there's three components to it. The first one is to obey him. Luke 6, 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? See, if, if, your, life, if your belief system is such that it's like, yeah, I believe Jesus is the Son of God, and then you go on and live your life the way you want to live it, then you haven't, so to speak, sat in the chair. You're not committing your life to that. You're accepting facts that even demons believe. That's like demonic faith. If you want to put it in such a term, but in reality, that's believing at their level. So why do you call me Lord, Lord, but don't do the things that I say? Matthew 7, 21 and 23. This is Jesus at the end, white throne judgment time. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, now there's a group of folks that did church, right? They, like, believed the facts about Jesus, and they found that there was power in his name, and they could speak his name, and even like, he doesn't argue whether or not they cast out demons or prophesied in his name, did wonders, right? Because there's power in it. There may be people on TV performing great miracles that are there for the wrong reason. This is that kind of thing that we see here. I'm not calling them all out. I'm just saying they could be because there's power in Christ. And real things happen to other people, and yet those folks will never benefit from the relationship of being in Christ. See, that's what he finally says. I never knew you. See, just like anything else, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And entrance in the kingdom isn't how much of the Bible that you know, but who it is of the Bible that you know. Now, this is not giving you a break to not know anything of the Bible. You need to know the Bible. <laughs> anyway, James 1, 21 and 22. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. There's that believing a lie. You know, hey, when I was eight, I got baptized. That's awesome. What have you done since then? Becomes the question, right? Because getting wet just gave you a bath if you haven't adjusted your life into the will and way of God, right? So, so that's the thing here in, in the South. You know, you have church as part of the culture. That's a dangerous thing, and that's the problem with what Paul was encountering when he entered these synagogues. These were professional religious people. They'd been doing church all their life. 
Paul used to be one of them. And he was out there killing Christians because they didn't agree with the way that, that he thought at one time. He was Saul then. We won't call him Paul. But doing church isn't going to get you into heaven. And that's the problem with a cultural Christianity when you raise up an area. It's much better if you were someplace where like, people weren't into being a Christian, like California. Because I grew up there, so I can say that. So, so there you're an hour from any kind of entertainment that you want to do. But honestly, if you're not serious about like God and what he can do in your life and through your life and impacting the world, if that is what you're about, like you shouldn't waste any time here because it's literally wasting time. You know, get on the river and go enjoy yourself. Seriously. Because if you're not going to be all in, then you're not in at all. Right? And so don't be just a hearer. Don't just listen today. You know, apply it. And finally, in 1 John 2, 3 and 4, Now by this we know that we know him. Well, how do I know if I know him? If we keep his commandments. He who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So obey him seems to be a part of saving faith, right? Makes sense. Well, what's, what's another component of saving faith? Seek him. We're to obey him and we're to seek him. Hebrews 11:6. it is without faith, it is impossible to please him for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So there's two things there. You've got to believe that he is, right, first and foremost, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. If you seek him, you will find him, and he will show himself to you, and he will unpack his will for your life because you were uniquely made by him for a specific purpose. And it doesn't have to be in the church. Don't think like, well, if I'm not in the ministry, I'm not being used by God. No. No, God impacts the world with regular people doing regular things. That's how he changes the world. This here is, uh, is some people want to call it as like a hospital for the hurting. I mean, there's a level of that, but in reality, you're kind of more of a mash unit. You need to be out where the war's happening and affecting lives there. This is for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, Ephesians 4, 12, and 13 tells us. That's what this is about. This is for our education and, you know, recharging and all of that for sure. But the hurting are out there, which means we need to be out there, right? So your ministry doesn't have to have, you know, uh, an MDiv at the end of your name, right? You need, there will probably be many MDivs that, are going to hear, I never knew you. It's about being out there doing whatever God calls you to do. And it can be as simple as just impacting the cashier on your way out of the grocery store. And, and that's enough for today, right? Just be led by his spirit. So seek him. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In that context, the added to you is, you know, Food, clothing, and shelter. You know, the necessities of life. And Jesus is like, don't go like chasing like, well, I've got to have this and got to have that, so I've got to go do this job and all. It's like, no, seek me, right? And I'll take care of the food, clothing, and shelter, right? That's, that's his job. Allow him to worry about that. 
David said, never have I seen the righteous nor forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Right? That's, that's an important thing to keep in mind. John 8, 31 and 32. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the sh truth shall make you free. See, we want to seek him so that we can know the truth. Right? Because there's so many lies. So many lies out there. They bombard us every day on TV, on radio, on book, and magazine, just everywhere, you know? And unfortunately, as we'll see as I get to some other passages here, in the last days, are we in last days? Well, we're in more last days than when Paul and John wrote about last days and that, it's 2,000 years later, right? Which I guess equates to like two days in God's time frame, but you know, it's just been a couple days. But we're in last days, right? We're closer now than we were before. But we know that there would be all kinds of false teachings within the church. That's a scary thing. Well, how can you know whether or not, you know, you're being taught truth? If you get into the same Bible they're supposedly teaching from, right? That's the only way you're going to know. Now, there may, you may not fully understand everything about how a certain passage should be interpreted, but the Bible is not so opaque that you can't get the obvious out of it. I mean, yeah, there's some bizarre passages, and you might hear all kinds of ways. I saw, you know what? That's not the main thing. The main thing is the main thing, and that's very easy to find in there, and what we should be about and what we should be doing in that. It's very easy to find. It's not hard to find, you know. Well, what is God's will for my life? Well, you can find those in there, too. It's not going to tell you what color car to buy, but, you know, it's going to give you enough of a structure to where you can kind of go down through that and say, okay, well, maybe I don't need a car. I mean... In reality, that you're not going to find those specifics. Like, he didn't tell Abraham, you know, follow down this road and turn left at the, you know. He said, go to a place I'll show you. Well, where's that? <laughs> I'll show you. You have enough information to go on right now. Follow him. He'll lead the way. So obey him, seek him, finally trust him. See, and that's the crux of faith is the trust. Right? Because again, there's, you got to have the trust. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. There's that believed again, pistuo, right? You can believe in vain. In other words, you can like listen and then not do anything with it. That's believing in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. In other words, everything that was prophesied about Christ was fulfilled in Christ, right? And he died for our sins. So when we talk about trusting him, we're trusting his payment for our sins, See, because the only other option you have is, well, I guess my good will outweigh my bad. Really? Well, how much do you know whatever bad thing you did weighed on the scale? And how about these good things you're doing? I mean, do you really think it's outweighing it? As if God was going to use that as the standard anyway, right? He says, be holy for I am holy. So he set the bar pretty high. Only Christ was able to accomplish it. So we could either let him pay the debt or we can take our chances on Judgment Day, 
It doesn't turn out well for anybody when they take their chance on Judgment Day. Okay? So, we've got to trust that he, again, let's look at this passage, died for our sins, and that he rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. 1 Timothy 1, 15-16. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me... First, Jesus Christ might show all long suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Okay, so what's Paul saying here? First off, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Right? That wasn't plan B, that was plan A from the beginning. He came into the world to save sinners, and then Paul says, oh, by the way, I'm the worst sinner you'll ever meet. Guys, I used to kill Christians. Right? So, whatever you think you did that's so rotten, pales in comparison and Paul's like look I'm a pattern that says look if the worst can get saved then like you guys are fine you can be saved really easily none of us have out sinned Paul okay so and we want to believe on him for everlasting life again our hope isn't like for the lottery like I hope my numbers hit this week right it's not that kind of hope Hope is established. Hope is planted. It's a stake in the ground. You're trusting so much that you're all in. Like, you've taken all the chips at the poker table and you're all in, right? That's like using the gambling thing at church, right? You're all in, right? Like, it's win or lose right here on this hand, period. That's faith. Anything else is hedging your bet. You know, you can't put a couple of chips in your pocket just in case this doesn't work out. I maybe it can build back up. No, you've got to be all in, right? And that's going to give you everlasting life. If you hedged your bet with the good works, like those people that were faking church, it's depart from me. I never knew you. Wow, that's not everlasting life. That's everlasting judgment. And then finally, 1 John 5, 10 to 13. Remember John... He wrote a hundred times, he's talking about believing in his gospel. Well, he has letters to the church as well that were written some time later. And, and I love how he wraps up his first letter. It says, he who believes in the Son of God has the witness in himself. In other words, the Holy Spirit. Like, if you know the Holy Spirit's in there, that's a witness to yourself that you're his. He who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. See, what God has said about Jesus is of utmost importance. You don't get to call him a teacher. You don't get to call him some, you know, great philosopher or whatever, or one of many roads to heaven. No. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Period. It's a narrow way, and few find it. So, if you find yourself on a wide path, <laughs> it might not be the right one. So, God has given the testimony. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. It's interesting that there was three different types of people like we're seeing here today, three different types of people that heard. Some was like, oh, that was thunder. Others was like, I didn't hear a thing. Another one was like, well, it sounded like an angelic voice, right? But it was God speaking, and John the Baptist heard it, or his disciples heard it clearly, right? They didn't mark it off to something religious or something natural, right? And this is the testimony. Here we go. This is the testimony God has given of his son. 
that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Who has the Son has the life. Who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. This isn't just simply the belief like demons believe. No, this is the all-in belief. This is the seeking, obeying, trusting him kind of thing. So that's faith. So now the question is, do you believe in the facts of the gospel? That's not a question. That just seems like common sense. Important questions are, do you trust him as your savior who died for your sins? Was he raised for your justification? Is he your only hope of heaven? Are you all in? That's what it was. So, an Athenian, so if I'm gonna type an Athenian, right? They would be at best religious. They love to discuss God, debate God. It was a fun topic to talk about, right? My God's better than your God, you know? They were all in on that, just talking about it. But in practice, they were an agnostic, right? I love that word agnostic. I love it when the people who are that say that about themselves. So agnostic is a beautiful Greek word. It's actually a transliteration of straight Greek. So gnosis means knowledge. And anytime you have a, an A in front of a word, it's a negator. So when they say they're agnostic, they're saying they are without knowledge. In other words, they're ignorant. It's where we actually get the, the English word ignorant comes from agnostic. So when somebody says they're agnostic, it's like, yeah, you are. You know, I agree. <laughs> How can we fix that? So, <laughs> Romans 7:18, Paul speaking of his time when he was just a simple Pharisee named Saul. For I know that in me, in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. See, here's the thing. We can't clean up our act, right? I know the common term today that's being battered around is, you know, the best version of me. You know what the best version of Rick Myers is that I can come up with? I'm a selfish jerk. That's the best version of me. You don't want to see the worst version of me. That was in and out of jail. But the best version of me is still a selfish jerk, right? So I can't come up with a better version of me, right? Only God can. And so that's the same answer as it was for the Athenians. So Paul, as he's talking about them, they remember they brought him, this is where we started, they brought him into the Areopagus, right? We want to hear what you have to say about this God of yours and that. So this was Paul's sermon to him. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. It's just a little caveat, this is kind of fun. They had all these different gods, but just in case they missed one, here's that guy, right? The unknown God. They wanted to make sure they had, you know, it's like a roulette wheel. Here I go with a gambling thing, roulette wheel, and they've got, they've got chips on every number, right? They want to make sure they're winning something here, right? So this is the unknown God. So he's going to use that as his launching point for the sermon. Your inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I will proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, 
nor is he worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives life to all breath and all things. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, for we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now commands that men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a time and a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given us assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Right? Remember the gospel on the third day rose according to the scripture? Now you can see that's the proof text that that is the only way to God. That was his plan A. Jesus begged in the Garden of Gethsemane that there might be a plan B, but he didn't get an answer on that. And so he went to the cross. Right? But God raised him from the dead. And that's his answer, that that sacrifice is sufficient. Now, do you want that sacrifice applied to your life? That's the question. And so, times of ignorance, every one of us, we were ignorant. We believed lies. We didn't know what we thought we knew. We, were thought, we thought we were all that, but we weren't, right? We were deceived. But at some point in time, someone shared the gospel. The Holy Spirit was there, fell on good fruit, illuminated us. And whoa, we're born again because we believe that. Right? We have to walk in that now. Don't believe like the demons. Believe and be all in, okay? So that's the worst case scenario. That was the Athenian. You know, I think he only comes up with a couple of people that get, uh, yeah, Dionysus and a woman named Damaris and a few others. And that was it that got saved in that town, right? So now we're going to look at two other people and I'll just compare them to each other and, and draw from those other two parts, right? So the Thessalonian versus the Berean. So Acts 17, 11, um, wonderful verse. Talks says that these in Berea were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So we can infer a lot from this verse by what was going on. Now remember, he passed through Thessalonica first, was there for maybe up to three weeks, and then was chased out of town. Okay, so let's take a look at how that story goes. So now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as was his custom, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded... And a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Cyrus. But the Jews who were not persuaded. So see, we had some that were persuaded, but the ones that weren't became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. It's interesting what the gospel was doing. They recognized it. It turned the world upside down. They said, Jason's harbored them, and these are acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there's another king, Jesus. 
And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the synagogue of the Jews. And now we get to that verse, 17-11. These, the, the Berean Jews, right, in that synagogue, were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So see, we see some differences between the Thessalonian congregation there at the synagogue and the rest of the people, religious people, and then those in Berea. So let's talk about what we have in Acts 17.11 in them. So there's this comparison. It says the Bereans were more fair-minded, right? It means to be generous and candid. And it said that they had all readiness. That means they were willing, eager, and ready, right? That's, that's what the Greek tells us about these particular people. And it says that these are good qualities, so we want to be that, right? So... Generous and candid can also be called like open-minded, not like so open that your brains fall out, but open-minded to where, you know, you'll allow something in, you know, you haven't like shut off any kind, that you're always teachable. It's a requirement of being an elder in a church is to be teachable, right? Everyone can continue to learn because we're not God, so we need to be teachable. And so these people were, they were teachable. And they were ready, willing, and, and eager they had their notepad out. Good for you, Emma. They were ready, willing, and eager to go and to, like, do this. But I love it that, you know, that's how these people were, and yet the Thessalonians, they didn't have that, right? So apparently they were apathetic, indifferent, and unprepared. So now what can we learn about the Thessalonians? Well, because of their attitude towards the gospel, because they were apathetic and indifferent to it and unprepared, fewer of them became Christians, right? So, again, we had verses 4 and 5. Some of them were persuaded, but a bunch weren't. And then we have 17.12. Therefore, many of them believed. Big difference in our heart. So when we come into here, to hear the word spoken into this church. Because where Wadi is, that's the church. It doesn't matter, it's meeting in a school, right? So when you're here at church, are you coming eager, willing, and ready to receive the word? Are you generous, open-minded, candid with what you're going to receive, right? Because that's gonna set you up for success. To be shut down or unprepared or apathetic or indifferent is actually dangerous, and that's what I want to unpack about the Thessalonians, because them as a type is not who we want to be as believers, okay? Now, when I say it's a type, don't like cast dispersions towards, you know, the, the Thessalonians as a church or the Bereans as a church and that, right? But understand that there's some qualities and characteristics that are, are typified here. They're spoken out, and so we want to learn from that what can we learn about that? So, being apathetic and indifferent and unprepared results in falling for any new doctrine. Ephesians 4.14 tells us that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Okay, This is stuff that happens 
more and more as we get towards the last days, right? So if you are apathetic towards truth, then whatever. So you'll fall for anything, right? Colossians 2.8, beware. Why would he say beware unless it's a potential that could happen to us, right? Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. That's being taught in churches today. Except, you know, you were born this way. Just accept that. Don't conform the flesh to the optimum. Just go ahead and live in that base desire or whatever, right? I mean, we're supposed to be transformed. So if we're still living like we did before, I think maybe we're believing like demons believe, some facts and that's it, right? So we don't want to be cheated out through philosophy and traditions according to the way the world's doing stuff, right? Church shouldn't look like the world, otherwise it's just a social club. Second Peter 2.1, Speaking about false prophets in the old days, he says there will be false teachers among the people today who will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So heresies are going to come, even denying Jesus. Now what would they deny about Jesus? Well, they'd maybe tone him down to just a good teacher, one of many roads, or something ecumenical sounding or whatever, right? Now... Those are false prophets. Those are false teachings. So we don't want to be unprepared for falling for that. That's, that's like a bad case scenario. Worst case scenario is when we're apathetic and indifferent and unprepared, we might set ourselves up teachers to tell us what we do want to hear. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, A time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. See, we want to be, you know, open-minded to truth, but we've got to be willing to be as the Bereans to dig in and see if they're true, Right? So maybe this attitude that was there in the community, because remember, it starts at the synagogue and flows out into the community, this kind of apathetic, um, indifferent attitude towards God, his truth. Maybe that's why Paul had to write two letters to him. We don't have a letter to the Bereans. I don't mean he didn't write one, but it has been preserved. Might have been too congratulatory or something. I don't know. <laughs> but we don't have something like that. So he had to remind them what he had taught them. First Thessalonians 2, 10 to 12. It says, Your witnesses and, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blameless we behaved ourselves among you who believe. And you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would work, walk worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So he was reminding them about how they were when they were with them. And then 2 Thessalonians 3, 7 to 10. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for, you were not for we were not disorderly among you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked in, with labor and toil night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we did not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. See, they already had this problem of people just like, you know, freeloading. 
and going from house to house and just being a burden on the church and that. So he's reminding them, like, we showed you, we told you, this is the right way to live. Like, were you not paying attention? Apparently not. Again, this indifferent kind of apathetic view of the word of God. It's like, yeah, whatever, I can take it, I can leave it. Well, he also has to correct them of a false teaching that they accepted. It's like, this young church had already accepted a false teaching. By the time he writes 2 Thessalonians, he tells them, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless you, the falling away comes first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, so that he sits in the God, as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was with, still with you, I told you these things? Now, this is obviously talking about like during the tribulation period, it's interesting that he's with them for like up to three weeks and he's already teaching them like end time things. What I also found interesting is John hadn't written the book of Revelation, so like Paul didn't copy John. See, there's always that kind of thing. Oh yeah, you know, people that want to like, you know, boo-hoo scripture. It's like, no, that was given to Paul and he was telling them what that would look like. But they had believed a lie that the rapture had already occurred. Right? And so now they'd lost hope. Remember, we talked about the chair, and if you've ever encountered one that busted underneath of you, now you're a little more hesitant. Now they're gun-shy because people had come along and told them the rapture happened, and they're a little freaked out. So he had to remind them. So they had accepted a false teaching, and he also had to exhort them where they'd been off track, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22. And I say where they might have been off track because why give this instruction unless they were doing the very things he told them not to do or not doing the things that he told them to do, right? So 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, 22. Do not quench the spirit. They must have been doing that. Do not despise prophecies. They must have been doing it. Here's what we know they didn't do. Test all things, hold fast to that which is good. See, the Bereans did that, not the Thessalonians. And abstain from every form of evil. They weren't. And so they needed to be reminded and exhorted of where that. So a Thessalonian, we're going to wrap up. Like Remember, the Athenian is a religious person at best, right? But they're agnostic in their lifestyle. Well, a Thessalonian then, if I'm going to use it as a type, is a babe in Christ, okay? And this is perfectly fine for a new believer. You are a babe, right? 1 Peter 2, 2 would say, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, but see, you've got to be in the word to grow. And to remain a babe is unhealthy. Hebrews 5, 12, and 13. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, in other, in other words, enough time has passed in them, in their walk with the Lord, that they should be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Right? Now, compare that with the next verse, 514. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. See, being in the word of God and applying it to your life helps you to not just grow in that knowledge, but in the applications. Like, okay, now I know, like, 
This is like we've, we've veered off of, it's a gray area. We've now entered into the gray area, right? We start to pick that up more quickly in that as we're walking in truth. We've become accustomed. We're maturing in the faith. See, that's the difference between being a babe and being someone that's mature. But not only is remaining a babe um, unhealthy, it's also dangerous. Colossians 2, 6, and 7 this would be the proper way to be operating, right? As you have received Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith that you've been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. But if you're not doing that, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty the seed according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. We saw that earlier. You can be cheated. If you are going to remain a baby, well, babies will... They'll follow after the wrong parent if that's just like the, you know, a wrong person in the store. It's like, okay, well, I can't find mine. Let me follow this one, right? I mean, that's what would happen to you if you don't grow in the word, right? On the other hand, the Bereans could be described as students of the word, right? I mean, that's kind of what we see. They gave the apostle Paul an audience, right? The apostle Paul, and then they went and checked him out. Think about that. They were like, all right. That's fine, Paul. We're going to go check you out tonight. We're going to go see if these things that you written were true, right? That's what Acts 17, 11 says. They received it, but they went and checked them out, right? Same thing you should do to me. But that's why I give you all these references so you can see that it's not me speaking. It's, you know. So they put into play 1 John 4, 11. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets had gone out into the world. This is first century and they already had a problem with false prophets. It's only getting worse, right? Additionally, the Bereans search the scriptures daily because it's the word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 tells us that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If your question is, is like, why isn't God using me? Well, maybe there's not enough in you to use. You've got to get lots of the Word of God in you because that's what's going to prepare you to be useful, right? I mean, John 3.16 is great, but if that's the only verse you knew, well, there's 31,101 other verses in the Bible. Now, I don't expect you to know them all, but it'd be a good idea to have a little comprehension on you know, what's going on there because the first time someone asks you a question, you'll be like, huh, right? But here's another thing. Don't be so afraid that you don't know all 31,102 verses that you're like stymied by even like attempting it. Here's one thing that you do know. You know I know this about you. You know more Bible than any unbeliever does. Right? Even if you don't know much Bible, you know more Bible than an unbeliever does. So be okay with that. But anytime you find yourself not knowing the answer, use that as, as like, you know, a little hope to like, well, let me go find that out. I can get back with you with that answer and then dig in and never be caught by that question again. Just become students of the word. The Bereans were. We want to be a Berean, right? Um, first, 2 Peter 1, 19 and 21. So we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. See, that's why we know 
the, the accuracy of the Bible, not only that, the integrity of it, right? So we already know how many verses are in there. I won't make you repeat it. But we know there's 66 books written by 40 different authors over 2,500 years. And yet there's one consistent theme from front to back. It's an ever um, unpacking of revelation. You know, in Genesis, it's just the seed of the woman. You know, you start getting a little more of a flavor as you go through the major prophets and the minor. And then finally, Matthew, you know, we have Jesus on the scene. And we followed all the way through through the birth of the church in Acts and then finally the letters of the apostles to that church, knowing that it would continue to grow. One consistent theme. It's been Jesus from the beginning, who was slain before the foundation of the world, before there was any of all of this. The plan had already been in place. And so it makes sense that men moved by the Holy Spirit would have one consistent theme. There's no contradictions in the Bible. Anybody says that they haven't read the Bible. You know, I, I spent a good portion of my time a year ago in that harmonizing the four Gospels, of which is not an easy challenge. I guess, you know, laying them in peril is one thing. Harmonizing and interweaving the text has been done by uh, two other people that I'm aware of um, over the course of history. Um, it's not saying anything about me. I just know that it was a lot of work, but I didn't find any contradictions. And so I'm just letting you know. People say, oh, there's contradictions. It's like, no. You have four witnesses at a scene of a crime. They're all going to tell a little story a little bit differently because they saw different facts. Facts are still facts. And interweaving the facts just gives the forensic experts the larger story, and that becomes your police report, right, after they've interviewed all the witnesses. So we've got many witnesses, but one subject, Jesus. Okay? Romans 15:4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that through the patience and comfort of the scriptures we might have hope. Read the Bible because it's what's going to give you hope and comfort. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Yeah, the word of God's going to speak to you, and sometimes it's not going to be comfortable what the Holy Spirit says to you. But you know what? He's trying to make us more like Jesus. And the more like Jesus we are, the less of like a selfish jerk we are, right? Like in me is no good thing, so I got to get a lot less of me in me and a lot more of Jesus in me. And that only will happen by us getting into the Word of God. So lastly, we have a Berean, right? This is who we want to be. If we're going to be typed, let us be typed a Berean. A mature disciple of Christ who listens to the Word taught with an open heart. Matthew 13, 23. This is the good seed, right? Receive the seed on good ground as he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Right? We want to be good soil. That calls for preparation. The brains were prepared. Eagerness, willingness, readiness when the word came. That wants, that's got to be us. So we receive it with an open heart, but we're going to study some more with a clear mind. 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We need to know it. We can't hang on one verse. We've got to know the surrounding verses, the supporting verses, the, the entirety of the doctrine. And then we can like, take rest and hope in it and understand fully what it means. And lastly, it's not enough just to know it and not to have studied it. We've got to apply it to our life. 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16. Therefore, 
Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So in summary, you know, believing facts is common sense, but that won't save you. Faith that saves includes obeying him, seeking him, and trusting him. And all of that will come as we get into his word more and more and study.